Okay. Good morning, everybody. It's nice to see you all here. If you've got your Bibles, uh, you can open them straight away to Acts. We are kind of starting to get towards the, to the end of our Kingdom People series, looking at the book of Acts. We've got this week, then Al's going to finish us off next week, looking at Stephen. Uh, and so, this is my last preach on the book of Acts for part one. We're going to pick up part two at some point, I'm sure. But it's been such a privilege to be going through the book of Acts and just seeing week after week how God speaks to us and how God is speaking to us through this book. And I'm just going to pray this morning. I'm expecting again that God is going to speak to us as we open his word because it is alive and it is active and he speaks to us through it. So let's just invite, I know we've been worshipping, God's here, I know that. We're just going to ready our minds and just invite God here. Lord Jesus, we just... We love you. We love your grace. We love that we come empty-handed and you give everything. God, you're so wonderful. You're so good to us. We just pray as we open this amazing book about the early church, about how you broke into so many lives in, in, in Jerusalem, Lord. We, we, just, we just pray as, as we read, as we listen, Lord, that you will speak through us, Lord, that you will change us, that there will be things that we hear today that will go on to put into action in our lives as a church, as individuals. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to um, just jump around just a little bit. We're going to start in the end of Acts 2, uh, and then we're going to go to Acts 4, and then we're going to finish uh, at today's scripture, Acts 6. It is on the board behind me, uh, but if you want to follow along, you can try and do that in your Bibles as well. Okay, so we'll start with Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Acts 4.32 All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So over these three uh, readings that we've just looked at, the first two, what we see is we see people who are of one heart and mind, that there's a church together that is of one heart and mind, and there is no needy people among them. So Acts 2, no needy people. Everyone's giving. Acts 4, no needy people. One heart and mind. But when we get to chapter 6, things have changed. And what we see in the book of Acts is that God is at work. God is powerfully at work. Jesus said, I will build my church. And what we see in these early, early chapters is Jesus building his church. A people who are of one heart and one mind, who, who give to each other so that no one has need. And there's these different groups of people but coming together as one 
heart, and mind. Ephesians 3 verse 10 says this, that we, we've heard this scripture before, that his intent, God's intent, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. Through God's church, and as we see it here, as they're of one heart and one mind, what happens is they display the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom, the multicultured wisdom of God to the rulers and the authorities. So when Jesus is asked, where, where, where's your wisdom? He points to the church. It is through the church that the wisdom of God is displayed. One heart, one mind, many people displaying the wisdom of God. And it really, the church, it, what it does is it embodies Jesus' victory on the cross. The supremacy of who Jesus is and what he has done is displayed in the manifold wisdom of God, which is the church. And we see that in the early in the early chapters. But when we get to chapter 6, there becomes like a reality to that, which is that it's not all happy days, that there are challenges to being different. That as there's different groups coming in, so you've got one group of people speaking Greek, you've got another group of people speaking Hebrew, Aramaic, and as they come in, this displays the manifold wisdom of God. Different people displaying his wisdom. But very practically, there's challenge to that. And so, and so we read in Acts 2, one heart and mind. Acts 4, one heart and mind. Acts 6, suddenly there's complaints. There's something happening. Divisions are starting to open up. We read in Acts 4 that there's no needy, and then suddenly we see in the beginning of Acts chapter 6 that there's some widows who aren't being looked after. There are now needy in the church. The church has lost sight of what God has called it to be. And that's what we see starting to happen in chapter 6. This, this, this display of God's wisdom is starting, is starting to become a threat to the church. As, as more people come in, as different nations are represented, different languages are represented, different cultures are represented, some people are being overlooked. The widows, the most needy in the church, the poor, are being overlooked. It's important that we see that journey as we go through the book of Acts. And it's a threat. And we've seen this a few times over the last few weeks, actually, as we've been getting towards the end of our series, is that the enemy will try and take down the church. The enemy will do everything possible to stop God's kingdom, God's manifold wisdom being displayed in the church, through the church. And we saw that from the outside, Sanhedrin. We've seen that from the inside. Ananias and Sapphira is an example. And we see it again here. So we've got to see the threat. We've got to understand it because this threat that is potentially quite small, is, it, has the reality, it has the potential of damaging the unity of, of the church. And so the question that we're going to look at today is how do the apostles respond to this? How do they respond to the fact that there are needy people who aren't being looked after, the widows aren't being looked after? And so we're going to continue reading. Uh, from verse 2 of chapter 6. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect 
the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So how do the apostles respond to this threat? How do they respond to the fact that some people aren't being looked after in the daily distribution of food? Well, they don't kind of like push it to the side and say, well, you know, we kind of, you know who we are with the 12. We're important with the apostles. We've got bigger fish to fry. There's a lot of people that need to hear the gospel. We've got bigger fish to fry. They don't push it to the side. They don't pretend it's not happening, but they prioritize the problem. They are aware that this is something that is a problem, and they prioritize it by appointing these seven men leadership. They prioritize the problem. And they don't just choose kind of like people who, ah, you know, They've kind of, they will do. There's no, no, no one better. Kind of, they kind of put their hand up. Be like, Fendu's going to do cakes for us. Kind of, you know, they will do. Actually, what they do, they chose the best. They, they, they said, you from amongst you find seven of amazing character, full of the spirit, full of wisdom. And so they prioritized the poor. They didn't just say, oh, it's not really about the you know, gospel. Well, let's just think about preaching Jesus. They were aware that it was a gospel issue, and so they chose the best. It's really important that we understand that. And we're going to see why they chose the best in, as we go through. Because you can kind of think, well, maybe the apostles were busy with kind of other things, and they clearly were. But for some reason, they decided that there's a priority here to be, to be made. And I, would, I want to suggest that these guys, weren't, the apostles, weren't just interested in the numerical growth of the church, but they were interested in the expression of Christianity that was being planted, that was being displayed, this wisdom of God, how the church, as people looked in, what did they see? Did they see a people who spoke well, but the reality is that kind of like in the back, there's kind of like these Greek-speaking widows who kind of don't really get looked after. And so they weren't just interested in the numbers. They were interested, okay, well, what sort of express, expression, excuse me, of church are we looking for here? What would people see as they looked at church? And the apostles adjusted because this was a central issue. They prioritized because looking after the poor isn't just like a side thing that you do, but it's the central issue. It's, it's the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of God. It's a gospel centered 
issue. And so they prioritized it. So it's not the difference. We need to understand this. It's, it's not the difference between choosing a kind of acoustic guitar or an electric guitar in worship, or choosing to have fika at the beginning or the middle or the end, or calling small groups, small groups, or home groups, or, or mission groups, or connect groups. Okay? They're kind of like side issues that, that doesn't really matter that much. What they're saying is that there's something so important, so fundamental to what we are doing in planting churches uh, that we need to prioritize this. This is a central issue. And if we look at Luke 4, we know those very famous words that Jesus spoke as he kind of unrolled the, the scroll of Isaiah. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? To proclaim good news to the poor. So the spirit comes on Jesus and it's good news to the poor. And we see, don't we, in Acts 2 and Acts 4, the Spirit comes on these early believers and it's good news to the poor. As the Spirit falls, there's this open, kind of like hand attitude with finance. And it means good news to the poor. It means in Acts 2, Acts 4, we see this group of people where there's no one needy. Everyone is being looked after because the Spirit has fallen. And we looked at this before, but we looked at this quote which said, basically the real miracle of Pentecost was not the speaking in tongues or the, or the healings and the miracles, as amazing as they were, but the real miracle was the generous, lavish lifestyle that people were living. That suddenly they counted even property. I joked with Nina uh, as we were praying like, about this the other day, and we laughed. But selling your house, you just don't think about doing it. But the, these guys did. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's what Jesus says. That's what we see in the early church. James 1.27 says this, that religion, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. Okay, I wonder how you would finish that sentence. Religion our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. I wonder how you'd finish that. Prayerful, biblically sound, loving, going to church every Sunday. I wonder how you'd finish that. All good things, of course. But James says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Friends, we must see this such an important part of who we are. We're good news to the poor. Why? Because the Spirit falls upon us. And as the Spirit comes, we become a people who are good news to the poor. This is a gospel issue. The gospel is good news to the poor. We've got to understand that. Yet, somewhere along the way, between Acts 4 and Acts 6, they kind of... They've, they begin to lose this. They begin to lose this. They begin to be a people who are obviously, maybe it's too big, or for whatever reason, they're starting, uh, the culture, the language, they're starting to forget that they're to be a people who are good news to the poor. I watched a film quite a few years ago. I'm sure a number of us have seen it. 
uh, called An Inconvenient Truth uh, by Al Gore, the former president. And it's uh, fascinating to just see about climate and really the reality that climate change is an inconvenient truth because it means we need to change the way we do things. We shouldn't be using so many plastic bags and things like that, which is very inconvenient when you go to Ica and you don't have any bags <laughs> to run back to the car. Um, as, I, as, I was, as I was preparing this week, I kind of I came across an inconvenient truth. I don't know if you ever that happens to you when you kind of open up the Bible, but I was reading it and I kind of it said what I kind of didn't expect it and didn't want it to say. And I don't know if you've ever done that. You've gone to the Bible for, for some sort of reason and, you, and you're looking at it and you're thinking, well, that, that doesn't actually say what I thought it would say. And so you kind of, you know, you try and read it upside down, back to front, like get a different translation out. Maybe it's an ESV problem, not an NIV problem. Those that speak two languages are thinking, well, I'll try in Swedish, not English, or, or whatever language. Um, but the reality is I, I, came, I came across that this week. There's, there's, this text doesn't primarily say what I wanted it to say. See, I, I, I came this morning expecting to speak about leadership. And it does talk about leadership. It talks about the priority of prioritizing character over gifting. It talks about that. It does. We could preach about that. It talks about the priority of the apostles in study of Scripture, in the Word and prayer. So they prioritize that. So as church leaders, my role is primarily to study Scripture and to pray. It talks about that. We could talk about that. It talks about teams, creating teams for specific needs, seven men for this purpose, it talks about all those things. But they are all a response to the problem, the threat that we see that the widows were being overlooked. They are all a response to the problem that they had forgotten the poor. And the gospel is good news to the poor. So I want to talk just a little bit today, very practically, about how we as a people can prioritize looking after the poor. I, I want to be honest. Uh, those that know me know that I'm quite an honest person. Um, but we, uh, we, as a church leadership, we, we, we know we have blind spots. And so about three months ago, or maybe longer, six months ago, I can't quite remember, but looking through the book of Acts, we saw the priority that the early church had for breaking bread, communion, Lord's Supper. And so we thought, you know, that's a bit of a blind spot of ours. If you've been with us for, oh, it would have been before COVID, of course, uh, but we didn't really break bread so much together. Uh, occasionally, but it wasn't so central in our meetings. And we saw there's a blind spot there, and so we changed it. And we thought, no, actually, we see there's something that we see here. There's a real priority. It's not just like a kind of like an extra thing that you kind of sometimes do. But actually, it's just absolutely central in the early church. And we had a blind spot. So we changed it. And hopefully that blind spot's kind of, you know, we're getting there with that. And there's still, still places to go. 
I think another blind spot, and that's kind of like part of the story of the whole inconvenient truth and like looking at it this week, is, is the poor. And actually, we want to be a church that loves the poor. I'm not interested in numbers. We're interested in the poor. We're interested in seeing a church that reflects the heart of God for the poor, for the widow. And so, as a church leadership, like, we've got a blind spot there. And I haven't got all the answers for you today. But we're going to pray about it. I want to encourage you to pray about it. We wanna, God has called us to reflect Christ in this city. We live in an amazing city. I love Gothenburg. I often go out for like, lunch with people and just everywhere, everywhere that takes me, I just like, whether it's in the city centre or like Lindholm, and it's like, wow, what a beautiful city we have. God loves this city too. And he's put us here to reflect his heart, to be kingdom people here in this city. And it's so important that we get this, that the, the poor is not just a side, kind of like something that we do every so often, but no, it's a central issue, so much so that the apostles with church of thousands of people said, you know what, we need to fix this. We need to, that somewhere along the line, it's become less of a priority. Okay, there's language issues, there's culture issues, but whatever the issue is, we need to fix this. And I want to say right now that we need to fix this. We need to fix this. Church is a place for the poor, where the poor are looked after, where the hungry are fed, where the naked are clothed. That's what we want to be. That's like our vision. That's our heart as a church. Love the poor. And so there's things that we need to kind of like pray about and work out, because I, I honestly don't have all the answers now. Okay? But I think there are also some practical things that together we can put into action directly. Because it's not about good first being a, doing something and that's like, oh, that, like what we do with the poor. That's like box ticked. Actually, it's every one of us together getting a vision, God's vision for the poor and living life differently. Living life like light rather than darkness. Because we live in a city, don't we, in a nation, in the Western world that's so focused on money. So focused on money. So focused on self. Okay, and of course, money's not a bad thing. Looking after yourself is not a bad thing. But when it becomes the thing, that's when it's a problem. And the gospel is good news to the poor. And as we go out of this room, we bring the gospel wherever we go. And so there's some practical things I just want to kind of like land with this morning. And you can turn... Uh, in your Bibles there, I'm sort of jumping around a bit with scriptures today, uh, but 1 John 3, just got some really good, helpful, uh, just helpful, practical um, things that we can do. So 1 John 3:16 says this, by this we know what love is, Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone with earthly possessions, sees his brother in need, but withholds his compassion from him. How can the love of God abide in him? I'm just going to read that again. I think it's very powerful. 
If anyone with earthly possessions sees his brother in need, but withholds his compassion from him, how can the love of God abide in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. There's three practical things I want to get from this. The first thing is this. Show compassion. Show compassion. It is so easy to judge. It is so easy to make excuses. We judge people by saying, well, they probably deserved it. They, I, I mean, kind of if I was to give them some money, I don't know what they would do with that. That would be an unwise thing to do. We make excuses. Oh, I've not got any money on me. I've tried that before, and then the person said, oh, I've got some swish. I've got swish. <laughs> But we make excuses. We judge. They'll take advantage. I'll give them a little bit. There's an expression in English, give an inch, take a mile. They take a mile, something like that. Okay, I'll give them a little bit, and they're just going to take advantage of that. They'll take lots. Uh, yesterday, yesterday I, there was a lady sitting outside uh, um, Lidl, right, right near where we live. And I, kind of, I came out with uh, three uh, tins of soup and some cheese. And, uh, and uh, she said, can I have, have, you got any, have you got any money? Hardly paying her. And I said, no, no, I don't. But I've got, I've got some, would you like some soup? And she was like, eh, I'll take one. And, I, and, and she was like, uh, but um, have you not got money? I said, no, no I, I, you can have these things. You, do you want more soup? Would you like the cheese? And she was like, nah, that's okay. <laughs> I was like, great, wonderful. So she was like taking advantage. There's, there's this story um, that Nina, about uh, a while ago now, but she, again, she, there's a lady sitting outside Ica this time, and she's um, asking for money. And Nina said, I'm, I'm not going to give you money, but would you like some food? You can come shopping with me. And so Nina kind of like took her into the shop, and it started off really well in the fruit and vegetable section, kind of like apples and potatoes and, you know, going really well. And then they got to, like, the fresh, the fresh food section, the meat section. And the lady was asking for ox filet, uh, lobsters, like caviar. And Nina was like, I don't even buy these things apart from a real special treat. And, and eventually Nina had to say, um, okay, you're going to have to go outside because <laughs> this isn't very helpful because she's just trying to take advantage. And the reality is that when things like that happen, like that small one yesterday, the one with Nina, I'm sure we've all got our own stories with that. What, what we can start to build up in our minds is excuses. Well, the last time I did this, that happened, so I'm not going to do it again. And it's really important that we fight against that. It's really important that we show compassion. You deserve it. You just take advantage of me. Do you know what? People might take advantage of us. And that's okay. That's not our responsibility, how people respond. What's our responsibility? To show love. To show compassion. To remember the poor. So important that we don't get hard-hearted. Especially in this, because it's such a sensual thing to the heart of God. Friends, remember the poor. Show compassion. Next time you walk past someone who is needy, who is poor, who has less than you, 
Show compassion. Jesus showed us compassion. Jesus showed us compassion. He didn't die for us because we would be a good investment. He didn't look down and say, they were, they, do you know what, they're almost the finished article. I'll kind of just do the death on the cross bit and the resurrection. But other than that, these guys, they, they are good. These are good people. They are going uh, to give me a lot, of, a lot back in my investment. Actually, the reality is that, do we mess up? Yes. Daily? Yes. Hourly? Yes. Minutely? That's a word? Yes. Yeah, I've messed up. Grammar. <laughs> We're not good investments, necessarily. Yet Jesus came because of compassion. Because he loved us. We know the scripture so well, don't we? John 3.16, not 1 John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Then what did he do? Use words? No, he came. Let's show compassion in this city. As well as being a people, the second thing I want us to see, as well as being a people who love the city, I think it's really important. We, we can, if you're anything like me, you can start thinking too big. You start thinking, okay, well, let's buy a house for the poor. Kind of thing. Like, like where, where, where can we go with this? And, and for, sh- for sure, there's like, there's, there, are, there are things that we can think about in the future. Who knows what God will do with us? I think there's amazing works for, for homeless, for refugees. Like, who, who knows what God will do? Okay, but I think a real helpful, practical thing, and what we see here in, in, this, in this scripture in, James, um, in John, is to start in the church. Brothers. If anyone sees a brother in need, looking at the church, this Acts scripture, it's talking about the church, widows in the church, Greek speaking, ones who didn't speak the language, who weren't quite in the right lingo, but they were part of the church. So let's start in the church. Let's love the widows amongst us. Let's love the poor amongst us. Let's make sure that there's no needy in the church. I know, I know part of my story when Nina was, I was working full time for the church and didn't get paid anything. And Nina was a newly qualified uh, teacher, and so she didn't get paid anything. Um, and we had to survive on very, very little money. Not enough money, actually. Uh, every so often at church, we would come and we'd just be handed envelopes of money. And like, it, was, it was just amazing how God provided through people in the church during those times. It was, it was like, like just this beautiful expression of brothers, sisters, looking after each other, knowing, okay, well, this person's maybe going through a bit of a financial challenge. I can help. I've got a bit spare. Just this beautiful picture, which kind of leads on to the next one. Take action. The third thing I want us to think about. Let's be a people who do things. It's oh too easy to talk. It's oh too easy to say we love the poor, good first and then do nothing about it. It's so important that we take action. For God so loved the world that he sent. Jesus went, he came, he took action. 
So many times in the Gospels, we read Jesus has compassion. He doesn't kind of like just have a bit of a cry and, oh, that's sad. You know, they're like sheep without a shepherd, kind of. But no, he takes action. He loves. He prays. He talks. Let's take action. Let's be practical. And notice what we see is a sacrificial action. It's something that we won't necessarily get anything back for. It's not necessarily a good investment. Probably quite a bad investment at times. But that's not our responsibility. We take action. James 2 says this, Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, keep well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? There's a real practical application to what we're doing today, what we're talking about today, and it's quite simple. Love the poor. Take action. Let's not just hear this. We get God's heart for the poor, yet, but I'm not really going to let it take me out of my comfort zone. It's all mine. I'm building my own empire, my own kingdom. And we're building the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we become a generous people. A people where there is no needy among them. It's a big, it's a big goal. It's a big aim. But God's a big God. And he loves the poor. As we, as we land in uh, verse 7, today we read this. Uh, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It's no accident that Luke kind of rounds up the bit to Jerusalem, about the Jerusalem church, just after talking about how they sort out their sort of like their structure for the poor. I believe that God has blesses this church because they prioritize the poor. They put things right. For sure, it's a leadership who love the word and pray. God gives growth there, absolutely. But there's a church that love the poor whether they can speak Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic. They're a church that love the poor. And as a result, I believe, God gives them growth. The church continues to grow because it is representing his heart. It is a place where people can look in, and not everyone's super shiny. Not everyone's a certain age. All ages. Everyone welcome. It's a place where people see the family of God.